And uh, if you would, take your Bibles and open with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And I want to read a familiar portion of Scripture, beginning in verse 13, but maybe we can see some unique insights here this, this afternoon. In Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13, the Bible says this, it says, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus drew himself near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these uh, that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, Answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? By the way, it's just uh, funny to me. It's not part of the message, but after you know who he's talking to, isn't that kind of funny? Don't you know what just happened? Jesus knows all things, plus he lived them, didn't he? <laughs> just kind of ironic there. And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre, and when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but they saw him not. Uh, but him saw they not. And then said he unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And, at, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. And the day is far spent. And, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to assemble here this afternoon. We thank you for the good word, the spiritual food that we've been fed today. Father, we thank you for the good physical food and the wonderful fellowship. But Father, we just pray that you would meet with us one more time today. Father, help us to put aside the cares of this world. Father, help us not even to be concerned about how this might be a blessing or a challenge to others. But, Father, we pray how you might speak to us here today. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the privilege to open your word. We just ask for your presence here now. We ask this all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I don't know what you're used to, but please, if you would, indulge me a little bit. But I like to ask questions. I like them to actually be answered. And if you could... Uh, Take and boil down the attributes of God to only one word. What word would that be? Anybody? Not all at once. Just anyone? Yes, sir. Or right here in the back. Grace. Grace. Very good word. Yes, sir. Holy. Very good. Anybody else? Complete. Glorious. 
Can I say this? I've asked this question in many places, and the answer that usually prevails is the word love. You know, the Bible does say that God is love, and, and I would just say this, that ultimately you're going to find that this message is about God's holiness. We're going to be looking at that here today. Uh, because if you will, the, when the angels are in the presence of Jesus, when they're in the presence of God, they don't cry, love, love, love. They don't even cry, glory, glory, glory. They cry, holy, holy, holy. And the reason for that, in, in, in recent years, I've, I've really appreciated the opportunity to, to study the holiness of God. And literally what it means is, is that there's no other being in all of creation or outside of creation of which God is that, that can take and be defined as the one and only example of who he is. What do I mean by that? Only God is omnipresent. Only God is omnipotent. Only God is all-knowing. Only God is love. And I want you to know that when you think about God and you appreciate his holiness, it's his otherness. Because he's, there's nothing else like him. There's no other God like him. There's no other person like him. There is, there, there is nothing like him. So that when you come into his presence, the only thing you can cry is holy. Because he's so different. It's the only word that takes and it defines him. I, I want to preach a message tonight that I've entitled, I Wonder. One of the things about becoming an older preacher is... Uh, when you're a young preacher, you're just hoping to parse all your, your verbs and get your sentence structure right. You're trying to get your context right. To be quite honest with you, as an older preacher, I, I try to hear the sounds that he heard. I try to smell the things that he was smelling. I try to see the things that he was seeing. And if you can, I want you to try to walk and talk in this conversation here and to see what's going on. Because the first thing that I see and the first question I want to ask is, I wonder what he taught them. Because the Bible says that he opened the Old Testament scriptures and he, he began to teach them. He says, ought not have Christ to suffered these things. And, and so he's walking with them and he's talking with them. And, and I think, by the way, who is the them? You know, I, 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 how many of y'all, do you like studying the Bible? I like it more than that. Y'all like studying the Bible? Don't you love when God just throws you something you've just never seen before? The Word of God is like a diamond that you can just take and look in different lights and different facets, and, and man, it's wonderful when God opens it up to you. Anybody know who these two people are? Because I believe the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us very clearly who one of them is. If you will, look in verse 18. The Bible says one of them was a man named Cleopas. And so the Bible tells us that one of the two, we know who he is, is he, he is Cleopas, and if you study just a little bit, you go to the book of John. I want you to see this with me. Go to the book of John, chapter 19, and look at verse 25. John, chapter 19, and verse 25, comparing Scripture with Scripture, I believe we can learn who is related to Cleopas. The Bible says, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that this was a family that had been following and uh, listening to the teachings of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if Cleopas is walking home, how many of you all think that his wife's walking home with him? And so on the road to Emmaus, I, I believe this is Cleopas and his wife. And just pay attention to those words there. The Bible says, who was sister to Mary. 
Folks, I want you to think about this for just a moment, but this is Jesus' aunt and uncle walking down the street. If you put two and two together, that's what it tells us. Amen? And, and so, if you will, by the way, what's the word amen mean? It means it's true. Is what I just said true? It's okay to say amen? I'm more stubborn than you are. It's okay to say amen? Amen. It's true. And, and so if you will, you look at this, and the Bible says two are walking on the road to Emmaus, and a lot of times you can take and speculate, but you don't have to speculate. The Bible says one of them's Cleopas. He's married to a woman. They're going home. I'm assuming he's walking with his wife, and they're talking about the things that are happening, if you will, and they are related to Jesus on his mother's side. This is his aunt and uncle. How many of you all think that you know your nephews and your nieces? Folks, I think these people knew Jesus Christ very well. I think they watched him grow up. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor among God and men. Amen. They took and they watched him from a child into a grown man. And they've listened and they followed to him in his entire ministry. And they had some hopes concerning Jesus Christ. These people knew Jesus. Amen. I'm going to say that again. These people knew Jesus. So then what has just taken place in the last three days was, in very many ways, first off, a personal tragedy. They had had a death in the family, folks. They had, they had taken and had a death in the family. Their nephew was dead, if you will. And, 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 and it was a death of a loved one. It also led to a crisis of faith. They didn't know in what or in whom to believe right now. How many of y'all think their world was just shaken? And I promise you this, if you've gone through any trials, if you've gone through any difficulties in your life, uh, those personal tragedies can shake your faith. I mean, they, they were shaken to the core. These people, if you will, their knees were trembling in a sense. They, they weren't steady at this point. Uh, they, they had had a personal loss. They had faced a personal tragedy. Amen. And now it, it produced in them, I believe, a, a sense of despair. Hey, we thought he was going to be the king. <laughs> we thought we were going to rule and reign with him. We thought we were going to get rid of these lousy Romans. Listen, these people are going through some hardship right now. Personal loss, personal tragedy, a sense of despair. So I, I believe that's, that's, who they're, that's who Jesus is talking to. The second thing that we see is I want you to think about this. For people who are experiencing a tragedy, a crisis of faith, or are despairing, what do they need? What do they need? Y'all know Romans 8, 28. All things work together for to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. I want you to think about the threefold aspect of that verse there. Because all things work together for good. I'm going to let you in a little secret. Jesus dying on the cross was not a personal tragedy. It was a victory over Satan and his bunch. Amen. Amen. And so, if you will, this was a great victory day. It was a celebration day. It was resurrection day. Listen, Jesus Christ has rose victorious over, over the grave. Amen? It was a glorious day. And, and so, if you will, uh, they needed to have a sense of meaning in their life. Folks, if you've ever experienced a loss, can I just tell you this? It'd be good for you to realize that we have a good God. And all things work together for to those who love God. And who are the called according to his purpose. My whole point is this, is folks, sometimes we can take God's working in our lives very personally and think, God, why did you do this to me? I didn't do it to you, I did it for you. Yeah. It's a sense of perspective, it's a sense of having meaning, it's a sense of having hope in this life. I don't know about you, but when bad things happen, I want to find some meaning in it. How about you? Yeah. 
And that's exactly, I think, what Jesus was going to talk to these people about, to give them a sense of purpose, a sense of hope. Hey, didn't you know he had to die? And he's, he's going to take, he's going to explain that. The second thing, not only did he want to give them meaning, he wanted to give them purpose to them that love God. I want you to think about this for a second, but God tries our faith in order to mature us in the faith. That was already taught in Sunday school this morning. We're supposed to make disciples, we're supposed to baptize them, we're supposed to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. You all understand that? Do you realize that after salvation, we're in a constant maturing process, we're in a constant training process. God is trying to grow our faith, he's trying to mature us in the faith, amen? And so if you will, uh, the Bible says, tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not a shame. Folks, the Bible is saying this, you're going to go through some trials. You're going to have some experiences in life. Hey, God got me through. That kind of goes with the morning message a little bit. God got me through. God gave me the victory. I, I don't know about you, one of my favorite words in the Bible is Ebenezer, stone of remembrance. They, they took and they, they, they won a battle and they laid down a stone. They said, this is how far God can deliver you. And, and walking on the water, that's, a, that's another one of them stones or different things like that. And so if you will, every time we go through a trial, God is trying to take and to say, you're strong enough to get through. I'm going to teach you some lessons. I'm going to conform you more to my image. Amen. These people were going through a hard time. Why? Because God was shaping and molding them for future ministry. I, I, I don't know about you, but I like having purpose in life. How about you? God, why are you doing this to me? I'm not doing this to you. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. We need to have meaning. We need to have purpose. And folks, we need to have hope. I, I want to back up a little bit on that purpose thing. The Bible talks about that we would be perfect when all those things happen to us. Now help me for a second here. How many perfect people do we have in here? I uh, am a Civil Air Patrol chaplain. And I just got done with um, a thing called encampments, basically basic training for Civil Air Patrol cadets. And I deal with basically three problems. Number one, homesickness. They get there and, oh, I want to see mommy. Okay, I can deal with that. And the second problem is sometimes problems they brought from home, mental problems, uh, family problems, things like that. And you have to deal with that. The third big problem that I deal with, and it's a real problem, is the problem with perfection or perfectionism, meaning these kids are overwhelmed with, I made a mistake, I ruined everything, I can't do it, and they will just melt down. Can I just tell you this? There's not a perfect person in this room, but we ought to be maturing to become conforming and becoming more and more like Christ every day. God's still working on me. Anybody ever fall off a bicycle when you were learning how? We're all on a spiritual bicycle, folks. And every once in a while you fall off. You know the wonderful thing about our God? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what he says? Claim it as a sin, get back on the bike. Claim it as a sin, get back on the bike. Can I just tell you the devil's the one in your ear? You're worthless. If you were any good, you wouldn't have done that. You're just, is the devil trying to defeat us? God's not the one saying that. God's the one saying, get back on the bike. Get back on the bike. And so, if you will, that's, that's talking about, if you will, purpose. The last thing I want to talk about here in this, in this area is to talk about hope. The Bible says, who are the called according to his purpose. Folks, what were they hoping for with Messiah? 
Folks, the disciples were all the time arguing, who's going to sit on your right hand? Who's going to sit on your left hand? When you come into your kingdom, we're going to be in charge. And, 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 and of course, Jesus knew otherwise. Amen. The, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Any of y'all have your timetable and realize that sometime God has his timetable? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Meaning this, that sometimes we get disappointed in ourselves and we get disappointed with our God because he doesn't answer our prayers fast enough and give us the things that we want fast enough. I'm going to let you know a little secret. He is going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. <laughs> he is going to be sitting on the throne someday. Just not now. Hope deferred. See, they needed hope. They needed hope. You know, the object of hope makes us not ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed because we know Christ is coming again. Amen? And I, I, I will tell you this. Our hope is God preparing us in our trials, okay? Tribulation worketh patience, patient experience, experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Meaning what? Well, we're going through a hard time. Well, we've had some setbacks. Well, I've stumbled a little bit in my walk with God. And the hope is this, God's still working on me. God still has a purpose for me. I don't know about you, believe it or not, this felt frame, some of you are like, what's felt mean? <laughs> I was hoping to get at least one amen for a svelte frame. Didn't work. Uh, I used to be a cross-country runner. Can I just tell you this? The worst way in the world to finish a race is like this. The best way in the world to finish a race is like this. How many of y'all want to finish your course before Jesus comes? You got to have hope. He's coming. He can still use me. He can still, he can st he can still use me. Amen? I have this hope. That, and, and so these people needed hope. That's what he did. He gave them meaning. He gave them purpose. He gave them hope. And now let's talk about this, if you will. I wonder what he taught them. Well, I think Jesus taught them by asking some rhetorical questions. Ought not Christ to have suffered? <laughs> rhetorical question is a question that you ask knowing the answer already or the answer is implied in the question. Okay. What he's saying is this. He says, didn't you know that Christ had to die? Anybody know the very first prophecy in the Bible? very first prophecy in the Bible is Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where the Bible says that Satan was going to bruise God's heel, if you will, but God was going to stomp Satan's head. Amen? Well, folks, he's going to stomp Satan's head. As a matter of fact, he did, I think, on the cross of Calvary. But he had to go to the cross. Satan got his shot in, too. You all understand that? The whole first prophecy is this. Didn't you know that I had to suffer for sin? Maybe, maybe he didn't just teach them about Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Maybe he also taught them about Numbers chapter 21. Would you go there for a second? Numbers chapter 21. Look at verse 6. The Bible says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people uh, came to Moses and said, We have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Folks, a serpent is a type of sin. It was a type of sin in the Garden of Eden. It's a type of sin right here, amen. And the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery servant and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Jesus said this, he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. Listen, that lifting up was being lifted up upon a pole, amen. It's a prophecy about how he was going to die. Jews kill people with stones. 
God knew from the beginning who was going to kill Jesus, amen, and he was going to be lifted up on a pole. Didn't you know that Messiah had to die? Didn't you know that he was going to be raised up on a pole? Maybe he also took him, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 53. Go there with me, please. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1. The Bible says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. But folks, in a way, it's saying he's not going to be physically attractive. That's what he's saying. The Bible says in verse 3, it says, He's despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Folks, y'all remember when Peter took and said, I know not the man. He took and he ran off. Despised and rejected of man. Amen. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We did esteem him smitten, stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, say it with me, the iniquity of us all. What do you think they talked about? I think that's exactly what they talked about. Didn't you know that the Messiah was going to have to come and die for your sins, and all the sins of mankind were going to be poured upon him in a moment. And I don't know about you, the whipping and the punching, the tearing out of the beard and the plaiting of a crown of thorns, all that's terrible, folks. But none of that compares to the three hours of darkness when God the Father turned his back on God the Son. What do you think they talked about? I think that's exactly what they talked about. Second, I wonder how they knew who he was. You're in Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah here a little bit. I wonder how they knew who he was. The Bible says that he came alongside them. He talked with them. Their eyes were holding that they should not know him. They're walking with him. How many of y'all think as uncle and aunt, and I believe he was, they were uncle and aunt, how many of y'all think they'd heard his voice before? How many of y'all think they knew what he looked like? And folks, I don't believe a miracle took place so that they couldn't see. I'll show you that here in just a second, okay? They literally, when he came up, they saw him and they said, we don't know who this guy is. We don't know who this guy is. Is there any scripture would tell us why they wouldn't recognize him? Well, you're in Isaiah, so if you would, go to Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6. Bible says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. By the way, just, just an obvious observation. Anybody ever seen somebody had a full-grown beard and one day shaved it off and came to church? You, you gave them a visitor card? <laughs> that ever happened during hunting season around here or after hunting season? I don't know. I don't know. I promise you this, if you've ever seen somebody and known them with a beard and then all of a sudden they don't have a beard, folks, he was a Jewish man. He had a beard. And the Bible says they plucked it off of his face. The Bible says in another place that he was so marred that you couldn't recognize him as a man. 
You say, well, all that went away, did it? Would you look at another verse with me? Go to chapter 52 and look at verse 14. Isaiah 52 and verse 14. The Bible says, in this that verse, it says, as many, as many were astonished at thee, meaning they were astonished at what they were looking at. His visage was so marred more than any man. Folks, I, I believe that when they took and they put Jesus on the cross, they had beaten him so bad that he was literally beyond recognition as a man. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says further, it says, in his form more than the sons of man. They, they took and they disfigured him so that you couldn't recognize who he was on the cross. Amen. He was hidden from their eyes because he was marred uh, in order so bad that he couldn't be recognized by his own family. Help me for a second here. What kind of body did he have when he's on the road to Emmaus? He had a resurrection body. Amen? Now maybe some of these things I'm showing you are in a different context, but none of this is novel. All of this we know. Amen? But they did finally recognize him. How? Well, it came time to come to their house, and he was acting like he was going to keep walking. He said, no, no, it's too late. You come to our house. You come and eat. By the way, it's the head of the household's job to break the bread and serve the meal. But they must have understood there was something special about this man they were talking to. Because they didn't know who he was until he broke the bread. you get it? And as soon as they saw, he was gone. Folks, they recognized him because they recognized the scars. How did the apostles recognize him? I, I promise you, I, I won't take the time to do it, but there's many times in Scripture where the apostles saw him, they said, who is that? People who walked with him and talked with him for three years, they didn't know. Would you go to the book of John, please? Go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 9. Excuse me, John 20 and verse 20, excuse me, 19, verse 19. The Bible says, then the same day at even, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in their midst. Let me just stop there for a second. I'm not sure if they knew who he was yet. The Bible says further, it says, he saith unto them, peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and his side. And his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Please get a hold of this. They didn't know it was Jesus until they saw the nails in the side. And what do we call the man who showed up a week later? Doubting Thomas. Yeah, I, I preach a whole message. I don't think he's a doubting Thomas, but that's, that's another message for another day. 
You know what he said? He said, I'm not going to believe either. Get it? I'm not going to believe either until I see the nail prints in his hands and the sword wound in his side. And Jesus came and showed him, and he says, don't be unbelieving anymore. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. And Thomas, you know what he did? He immediately fell on his face. You guys know what he said? My Lord and my, my God. Some of you might think this is a message about the two on the road to Emmaus. No, it's far more than that. It's a message about holiness. The Bible says, Jesus says this, we can't see the scars, but we can see them by faith. Look what the Bible says in verse 29. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, yet have believed. Anybody here want to see Jesus someday? Well, then I wonder how we're going to know him. I wonder what they talked about. I wonder how they knew him. I wonder how we will know him, and I shall know him. I want to sing that song right now, don't you? I shall know him, I shall know him, and redeemed by his side I shall stand. I shall know him, I shall know him by the print of the nails in his hand. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 28, Aaron is a picture of Jesus as our high priest, and it talks about all his clothes. And on top of his head, he has a bonnet and a miter, and then he has a gold plate tied to his forehead that says holiness unto the Lord and only one person in all of Israel was allowed to wear that uniform okay because he uniquely represented Jesus Christ because there's only one Jesus Christ folks and so when you look at him you say holiness unto the Lord and now take and see the fulfillment of that type of the high priest when we see Jesus face to face. And I think there's going to be something on his forehead that tells us about his holiness. A lot of times we think holiness is just sinlessness. And so a lot of times we think of holiness is righteousness. And can I say this? Holiness incorporates all those things, but it's just a part of Jesus Christ as his holiness. Anybody here looking forward to a new body when you get to heaven? Did you hear all the old people go, amen, brother? <laughs> what kind of body are you hoping for? I'm hoping mine's handsome this time. All of you not laughing must think I'm pretty handsome. <laughs> the jokes just don't work here in Alaska as good as they do in Missouri. These are good jokes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I want you to see one verse. I got more verses, but for sake of time, go, go to Psalm chapter 29. Look at verse 2. Psalm 29, verse 2. 
I, I think we're going to be happy to see Jesus. I think we're going to want to get an embrace. I don't think we're going to make it that far. I think we're going to be like the angels that just fall down in his presence and cry holy. Because the Bible says there in verse 2, it says, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Say, can you all say the next part with me? Very Put emphasis on where I do. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We're going to be in heaven with new bodies. We're going to be better looking than we've ever been. We're going to be able to hit the high notes in God's holy choir. We're going to be perfect. Do y'all believe that or do I need to preach another message? Y'all believe that? Well, then the only scars in heaven are going to be on Jesus. How are we going to know who he is? He's going to be the only one with scars. How do I know that? Folks, he was in his resurrection body and they couldn't recognize him for the scars. And he invited them to identify him with the scars. Are you all with me? That's true holiness. Why did you have to do salvation the way you did? Because it was the only way. Did I have any part in it? Look at me and look at you. Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says Isaiah saw God high and lifted up. And in his presence were the angels and they cried, holy, holy, holy. Well, who should I send and who will go for me? And Isaiah in the presence of a holy God said, here am I, Lord, send me. I hope you've seen the holiness of God today. Because when God wants to touch your life, you say, why should I trust you to do that? Because I'm the only one bearing scars. Why should I give myself to the mission field? Because I'm the only one bearing scars. How can I know true love? Emulate me. Why? Because I'm the only one bearing scars. Boy, it's easy to take this Christian walk for granted, isn't it? But wouldn't it be great this afternoon if we could see Jesus Christ high and lifted up? There's a story of a little girl who was ashamed of her mother because her mother was disfigured and scarred. She was ashamed because her mother was ugly and she hated to introduce her to anybody. Till one day she grew up a little bit and she Somebody said to her, do you know why your mama has scars? And she says, I don't know. She said, well, when you were a baby, there was a house fire. And she had to run in to save your life. And in doing that, she was disfigured for the rest of her life. And instead of being offended by her scars, she now saw the beauty in those scars. Folks, when it talks about the beauty of holiness, the thing that's going to be beauty is the scars. 
So when God invites you to be saved, realize he paid the price. When God asks you to give, say, what more can I give? Look what you gave me. Will it be worth it all? Oh, I could show you what happens when sin's poured out in judgment upon a person. And we'll get in his presence and cry, holy, holy, holy. Let's all stand.